that kind of advice makes me want to stab someone repeatedly. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, marriage, and parenthood. I'm Barry Liga. With me is my co-host and my wife, Morgan Baden. Hello, Morgan. Hi, Barry. So I want to talk about a few things this week. Um, And one of the things I want to talk about is advice. As parents, we get a lot of advice, even when we don't want it. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's good advice, though. Sometimes we hear good things. Sure, yeah. But I want to talk about writing advice. I want to talk about writers and advice, because there is... There is a surfeit of advice out there in the vast universe for writers. Yeah. And I, I want to, I, I stumbled upon an article that I wanted to, to talk about for just a minute and then sort of broaden the topic to advice in general. So this was an article about Michael Arndt, who uh, wrote Little Miss Sunshine Good and uh, and then wrote Toy Story 3, which was movie. a phenomenal movie. And he's done a bunch of other things. And in fact, he wrote a draft of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, uh, so I, don't, I can't comment. You on can't that. comment on that, I know. <laughs> but but let's, just, let's just say this is not a piker. This is not a newbie. This yeah. guy knows what he's talking about. And, uh, and he, he did a little video, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Basically, he talks about the, the five things you need for a great beginning to your story. Okay. And I just, I'm just going to read the, sure. the top level things here. So number one is show your hero doing what they love the most. Oh. Number two, add a flaw. Then add a storm. Then add insult to injury. And finally, make your character pick the unhealthy choice. That's really great. That's phenomenal. And what makes me love this advice even more is that he admits at the end this isn't always going to work. This course, isn't for yeah. everything. This is just a good idea. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times when we get advice, it's given with the attitude of, this is what you must do. Trust me, do this or you will mm. fail. And so I always like when people give advice and qualify it by saying, hey, this might work, or this is just a starting point or a framework or a guideline. It's not a rule. Because I think in particular, writers are always looking for that guaranteed ironclad rule right. that works 100% of the time and is guaranteed to have a specific result. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. So, I mean, what's some advice? I mean, who isn't? Who well, isn't looking for that in of anything? Of course, but, of course. But I feel like I writers... Think, I, I feel like writing in particular has this um, myth of there's a, a secret formula and once you figure it out... right. You, you've got success, right? I think writers are particularly vulnerable to this just because yeah. it is such an enormously subjective field. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw earlier today a friend of mine who is also an agent, Jennifer Lofren, was tweeting saying, look, don't read anything into an agent who says this isn't for me. That doesn't mean it's bad. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean it. All it means is it's not for me. Right. That's all it means. Like it, it means exactly what it sounds like. And I feel like since this industry and this field is so subjective, writers are always looking for something that will be objective and will cut through all the subjectivity. And I don't think there's any such thing. What's some advice you've gotten as a writer, both good and bad, or things that you had to change or modify or things you're glad you knew, things that maybe wasted your time because you listened to them and Mm -hmm. turned out they were wrong? I have to say, I don't know who this came from. Okay. Um, so apologies if it was someone listening or if it's like a really famous thing and I'm just blanking on it, but <laughs> I think the single best piece of advice regarding writing that I've heard is 
every single book is different. Uh-huh. So once you finish writing a book, it doesn't mean you know how to write books, plural. It means you knew how to write that book. Right. And that has been really helpful to me, uh, especially because sometimes it seems like, you know, the first manuscript that, um, the manuscript I wrote before this current one, uh, was kind of easy, not easy, but like it came to me more. I didn't do a ton of revisions. I got an agent. I went on submission, um, didn't sell the book, but you know, had a certain level of success there. This manuscript, I'm on like, I don't know, revision number 100. And, (laughs) and I keep reminding myself, I knew how to write that book. I don't know how to write this one yet. And that's what I'm figuring out. So I think, uh, that's been incredibly helpful. And then I would say the second piece of writing advice I've heard that I think about all the time is write a million bad words Uh, from Mr. Barry Liga. Yeah. I don't know that guy, but he sounds smart. (laughs) I've heard things. (laughs) What about you? I think those are, are great pieces of advice, actually, even though one of them is from me. <laughs> um, and, and I think that what's good about them is that they are flexible and they are and, – and, and you can apply them to yourself as you see fit. Okay. Do you know what I mean? In other words, you can say, I didn't know how to write this book, but now I'm figuring it out. There's nothing that says to you, do X, Y, and Z, and then you will know how to write this mm-hmm. book. You know what I mean? It's not it's not telling you what to do. It's not prescriptive. It's it's just giving you a general idea. And I think that's the best sort of advice. I think about this a lot because I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. And when I say this, I mean trying to write, mm-hmm. not necessarily writing successfully. But you know, just just by dint of the fact that I'm like 30 years older than you, I've been doing this. <laughs> I've been doing this a lot longer than you. Yes, um, I am 14, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes, yes, this is it's true. It's true. You are my child bride. Uh, but you know, and and I started doing this before the internet. Yeah. Back when it took two floppy disks for me to hold my first novel. Wow. Because floppies. Daddy, what's a floppy disk? Yeah, I know. Oh God, it looks like the save icon. Sweetie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kids got kids have to be wondering. Like, I don't know why. Why is that weird square a save icon? Um, you know, I it predated all of that stuff, and I feel like sometimes there is advice that we hold on to that has outlived its usefulness. And and I thought about this because there was a tweet that came to you and me okay. a little while back that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet from somebody with, on Twitter with the name Mary, which has got to be an assumed name. Nobody would be named <laughs> Mary, uh, saying, because of your podcast, I tried pantsing oh, slash winging it to write my novel, and it worked better than past projects, so thanks. And this made me think about... This this dichotomy between pantsers and plotters, which I hate oh, that no, those hate terms. It. I hate that dichotomy. It's bullshit. But that's not what I'm actually going to talk about. What I'm going to talk about is I think about all the advice that I read over the years about how to plan your novel. Okay. You know, I mean, literally books written on this topic. Yeah. Entire books written about how to outline and how to do a, a an idea web and yeah, how to do this uh-huh. and, the, and all of this stuff. And I think about it. And I'm like, you know what? That stuff probably made a lot more sense in an era where if you made a mistake, you had to retype the page. Ah. And in an era in which if you screwed something up, the publisher had to reset hot lead on a printing press somewhere. Yeah. In an era in which you can go copy, paste over here, in which you can do undo, in which you can do save as. Yeah. I think a lot of that advice that's been handed down by generation to generation may not be useful anymore. Hmm. And I've sort of come to the conclusion that my advice is forget about plotting. Just start telling your story. 
Because... See, honestly, though, because, I'm gonna, I feel like I have to disagree with you there. Okay. My biggest problem when I write is plotting. I can write for hours and hours and hours and totally be enjoying it and thinking right. it's fantastic. And then I look and realize that nothing... The, the needle has not moved at all. <laughs> You're still no in the bedroom yes. looking in the mirror. <laughs> the alarm clock just went. Just went off. <laughs> Do not start your book with an alarm clock going off unless that alarm clock is connected to a bomb. <laughs> Um, so seriously, I get what you're saying, um, because at some point you do just have to, like, I'm someone who has to feel my way into a story. Yeah. Yes. Totally agree with that. What I've learned from writing this current manuscript is that I need a little bit more plot guidance before I actually start writing. I guess what I'm saying is when you sit down to write, think in terms of having a general direction and, and a few points along the way to hit. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry so much about, do I have a structure in place? Because even if, even if you spend hours writing and the alarm clock has just finished going (laughs) off, keep going. Eventually you're going to get to your story and you can go back and cut that stuff because it requires no effort. You know, Mm -hmm. it, 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 again, you know, the cutting doesn't require the the cutting does not require any effort there. There's nothing involved in that. It's not like, you know, you're, you're looking at it and going, Oh, I got to cross all this out. And now, you know, the, the person, the the lady who comes in and and transcribes my manuscript for me is going to hate me because I had to, you know, handwrite this in the margins and she's got to type that now and read my handwriting, which is how a lot of these books used to happen. People would write them longhand and then hire somebody to type them for them. You know, that just doesn't exist anymore. And I think, you know, we have to acknowledge that, that the human brain works differently when you are typing something with knowledge that you can edit it easily sure. than it does when you're handwriting and realizing that if you make a mistake, it's very dear. Absolutely. Yeah. And most writers sit down at a computer to write. Yeah. I mean, yes, there are people who handwrite things and fine, if that works for them, great. But I just, I, I, I try to think of these bits of advice and these bits of received wisdom that have come down to us through the generations that may have outlived their usefulness yeah. because yeah. the tools that we use now obviate them. Well, it's kind of like if you read a parenting book from the 1940s. Right. I'm sure 90% of that advice is irrelevant. The whole thing about bind your children's wrists so that they can't you know, roll <laughs> over and you know stuff a rag in their mouth so they don't disturb dinner. Oh my God. All that stuff from the 40s. Well, that's how they raise them, right? All that stuff is useless now. And, and yeah, I, I just, yeah, I just think, and, and I feel like a lot of writing advice in particular, a lot of the advice that, that authors give when they give talks is stuff that they were told from an author who was older than them, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that they were told by an author older than them. And it just comes down without being critically dissected. Okay. And I just think that, you know, writers out there, think about the sort of advice you're getting and, and ask yourself, does that, is that really applicable now? You know, is that, does that make sense now? The best advice I ever got, I'll tell you, you told me yours, I'll tell you mine was uh, a friend of mine who was a screenwriter who read a science fiction novel that I had written and I was having trouble with it. And he was giving me some bits of advice and then he stopped and he looked at me and said, you know what? And this is before I'd published anything. He said, you know what? You know, you, you're a smart guy. You're a talented guy. I can tell by reading this. Yeah, it's a mess, but, but I can see that there's something there. Just do it till it's done. Mm. Just do it till it's done. And he wasn't trying, you know, he didn't try to give me any rules or guidelines or anything. It was just, 
It was just, you know what, bud? Figure it out. Keep working on it until it's finished. And I've got to tell you something. I wrote that in huge letters on a piece of paper. Just do it till it's done. And I pinned it up over my computer monitor for about four years. And it was tremendously helpful to me because it helped remind me that at the end of the day, you've just got to do the work until you, until the story is finished. Well, that kind of advice makes me want to stab someone repeatedly. <laughs> Seriously. Because my immediate gut reaction was, but what should I be doing and how do I know it's done? Now, maybe that's just like let different levels of writing talking there. And if you're yeah. a very great writer, you know, when it's done and you've done it. But if you're a new writer or a more novice writer or whatever, like that just feels like very, that just feels very dismissive to me. Well, I think the, the key here is that I had gotten to a certain level and he recognized that. Mm-hmm. And he recognized that going into specifics and giving me all these guidelines and all these other tools and all that would just tie me up in knots. Yeah. And I would be chasing all of these different goals as opposed to just focusing on what I needed to do, which was to what the hell is my it. story? I need to finish this. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously advice depends on where somebody is yeah. in the process. Um, I do think people get very tripped up over all the advice that they find. There's a lot of, um, I I mean, the things I've seen people say that they're doing to write their book is laughable sometimes. Like they're like, I did 20 page character profiles of the top five characters. And then I drew a map and then I broke apart that map and drew sub map. You know what I mean? Like they've spent two years just researching, just plotting out the book before writing. And obviously that's an extreme example, but. Years ago, I was working on a book, and this was when I lived in a larger domicile, and I had a lot more space. And so I took one room in my house, and I pinned up a map of the area that my story took place in. And I was putting pins in it, (gasps) and like chapter three takes place here. What book was that? It's something that never got published. Ah. Um, and, uh, and, And it was insane. And I felt very... Uh, very impressive. Yeah. I felt, uh, I felt like a real writer. Yeah. I felt like I was accomplishing something. I felt like, I felt like the amount of work I was putting into my wall would be reflected in the book. Yeah. And you know, the time came where I moved and I had to, <laughs> and I had to take all that down and that's fine. And you know, as I took it down, I realized I'm like, you know what? I put this up and the day after I put it up, I never looked at it again. Wow. And yeah, I think. I think we can get a little too tied up in ourselves, a little too precious. And I just, I remind myself, just do it till it's done. Just, just, you've got a story to tell, tell it like that's, that's the best advice. Tell your story. And, and I think that a lot of times, you know, people have these rules that they follow for themselves and they try to impose them on other people. And, you know, I just taught this class in revision Mm -hmm. and, one of the things I did was I showed my students how I revised uh, the secret C. I showed them a, a, a trick that I use to revise, to revise the secret C. And I went to great pains to say, this is something that helps me. It might not help you. It may not help yeah. you. Like this is just to show you, oh, this is one way to think about this. Yeah. And if your brain works the way my brain works, this may help you. If your brain doesn't work the way my brain works, it may at least show you, oh, I don't have to do it the same way. Yeah. And 
I just I I, I feel so bad for writers sometimes <laughs> because I, I feel like they get a lot of advice, a lot of conflicting advice, a lot of old advice. I was looking at you sending some stuff out to agents, and there was one point where there was one agent who had a a somewhat odd requirement, and right, yeah. you were sort of grumbling under your breath as you were sending off an email uh-huh. because it was ridiculous, yeah. uh-huh. and and I was just like, how is that helpful to yeah. anybody? Yeah. That, that this person requires this. Nobody else requires this. What, mm-hmm. Like, what makes this person so special? And so, I, you know, don't, again, anytime somebody gives you advice, think to yourself, did it work for them? If so, am I enough like them that it would work right. for me? Right, like, do I operate the same and, way? And yeah. number two, does this really make sense in this day and age? Yeah. You know? It's funny. I had, I'm a, a, I'm a very visual person yeah. when I was writing my first manuscript that I finished, um, which I don't talk about much, but there's like a whole other story there, by the way, there's a whole, yeah, other there's a whole story. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. You've had a I know, weird I've little had a career. Disease, I know. Yeah. Um, but I ended up finding there were, uh, three main characters, teenage girls, and I found pictures of what I thought they would look like in magazines and like uh, pinned them up on a board along with like some plot points and some, it was yeah. basically Pinterest before it was Pinterest. And, <laughs> you invented uh, Pinterest. <laughs> you're right. I did. And, uh, and yeah, it was one of those things where it felt so important to do before I started writing. And then like halfway through the book, I was like, I haven't looked at that since I created it. Like yeah. it, it's not helpful. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, I just thought of another piece of writing advice that I actually really like. Okay. And I do this at work all the time and I don't think I've tried it yet with personal writing. Um, but it works really well for me at work. And I know other authors have said that they do it, uh, for themselves. Uh, I think Lauren Morrill is one who, um, who tweeted this the other day when she gets stuck, she transfers to, uh, longhand uh, on paper yeah. and it helps her get through a scene because that's working different parts of your yep, brain. Yep. And then once she cracks it, she goes back to her computer. Um, which like I said, that's what I do at work sometimes when I'm working on something that just doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. So, huh. and it works. Yeah. That's cool. I've never done that, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been proven. I yeah. mean, it's not, that's not something somebody's making up. It's been, you know, it's science right. that your brain works differently when you're handwriting as opposed to when you're, when you're typing. Um, which is interesting because I, I don't think I could write longhand now. Like God, if you put it's a so hard. if you put a gun to my head and said you know write a chapter with a pen and paper, yeah, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. I am so hardwired because I've been doing it for thirty years. Yeah, you know, using a, a keyboard. Mm-hmm. God, I just realized like more than half of the time I have been writing has been with this one keyboard. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Barry has like a it's very like a, old. It's yeah crummy keyboard that's crummy literally like, crummy because yeah. there's there's like 20 years of crumbs there's in it. like no letters on the keys <laughs> <laughs> some of the keycaps are worn off that's true that's true i'm terrified like i have said before like when this keyboard breaks i think my career is probably over <laughs> i think probably i will never be able to write again barry liga and the magic keyboard I, uh, there you go that's my next novel all right well that's good thank you i wanted to get all that off my chest and and i'm glad that we were able to help quote unquote mary <laughs> on, on on Twitter with with this, um, but you know, I say, just you know, pants it all the time. <laughs> just, just pants it. But know uh, your story. But no, yeah, know your story. Know your story. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about parenting now, because that's what we do. We are parents. We are parents. Uh, last week we talked about the Kasdan method for. Right. For discipline and fixing your children's behavior and all that. I've got an email from someone who wishes to remain anonymous 
talking about this and saying that really the solution is figure out what's wrong. Figure out why your child is throwing a temper tantrum or or whatever okay. and help them deal with that. And that is really the the, the, the fix. And that's true, I think. Um, you know, the, the Kasdan method in a way is sort of like a Pavlovian thing. Like you're, you're sort of, you know, subconsciously training your child not to do certain things as opposed to fixing the, the root problem. And I agree with that. And this made me realize that, you know, we may have given the impression that we were thinking that this is the solution to all of our problems or actually all of our future problems because our kid right now is very well behaved. Uh, but I assume that won't last. People tell me that doesn't last. Um, and it made me realize that sometimes people sort of fall into a parenting philosophy. Like they read a book or they take a seminar well, or something like that. Well, it's like attachment parenting. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and they decide that, that they're going to follow, like, yeah. like writing advice, they're going to follow every guideline that is handed out by that particular uh, philosophy. And I realized that, that if I have a parenting philosophy at all, it's do whatever works. You know? Okay. And I sort of, I look at something, for example, like the Kasdan method as that's one tool in our toolbox. That's something that, you know, if Leia suddenly was throwing temper tantrums all the time, we could use the Kasdan method to sort of ameliorate them while we, we figured, figured out, out what was wrong yeah. and got to the, to the, to the core of it, yeah. you know, stop her from biting at least and, and then figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, how do you think, you know, what do you think about that? Like, do we have a parenting philosophy? Do we adhere to a philosophy or are we just pantsing it? No, it's funny because for, first of all, we don't have a philosophy. Let's just put that on the table. <laughs> uh, if anything, if the closest we would come, I think is Bring the French baby. philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is funny because um, I was telling someone I know who was expecting that the funniest thing about uh, becoming a parent is that you think you're going to be one way. And then, surprise, you end up sort of being a different way when you're right. a parent. And I found myself being a lot more uh, hippie. Like, <laughs> you know, nature mama. Yeah. Those first few months than I thought. And you, not, and you were very granola. I was. Yeah. Like, I, all of a sudden, I was like, it, you know, just that instinct kicked in. Um, and I didn't expect that before. Right. Uh, so... Yeah, no, we don't have a philosophy, and um, because even with "cry it out," for example, yes, I was which just is sort of a, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, no, ahead. no, no, it's okay. You know, we we did our kid did not sleep. She had a terrible time getting to sleep, and uh, got to a point where uh, it used to be that she needed to be asleep in our arms, in right. someone's arms, and then she stopped even being able to do that. Right. So she would cry when we put her down. She would cry when we held her, and like our doctor was like, "Just put her down then." Yeah. And we, I think it was you one night. You were like, you know, if if she's going to cry while I'm holding her, then I may as well put might her down. Might as well put her down and, and so not I don't have, have to hold her. her and yeah. I can go to sleep and she yeah. can cry, you know, whatever. Um, so we had to do cry it out. It works. It works kind of okay. <laughs> and, and, and even doing cry it out, we sort of modified That's it exactly. for our own yes. purposes. Yes. But, which I'm sure would horrify purists. I know. Yeah. But there was a, a time a few months after that where... And it still happens to this day. She goes through phases where she'll have a night or two every few weeks where she's having a lot of trouble getting to sleep um, or she wakes up in the middle of the night or whatever. And I do remember us having a conversation once where you were like, no, we have to let her cry it out again. Blah, blah, blah. That's what we've done here. And I was like, no, like I'm done with that. Right. (laughs) I'm flexing away from that policy into something else (laughs) because I don't want to hear her. Like I want to be there for her or whatever. So, um, yeah, so uh, 
we do not have a philosophy. Can I say something really interesting though that I just read? Please. Attachment parenting. Yeah. Um, there's a backlash That's where you against Velcro it now. the kid to you, right? Basically, yeah. yeah. You just wear suits of Velcro. Um, no, but there's a, a backlash now that's uh, with the premise that attachment parenting is just is a basically a reaction to feminism and to women going into the workforce in greater uh, numbers. Okay. And it's a way of forcing women back into the home. Wow. We're going to get like, email about this. I know. Yeah. I, there's an article. <laughs> I'll, I'll post the article You'll in the show notes the show because notes. I thought it was really interesting. Um, and frankly made a lot of sense, especially when you look at who the founders of the modern day attachment parenting movement are. And, uh, anyway, fascinating. I think another thing that, you know, sort of that had me thinking about this whole idea of parenting philosophies and all that and and different strategies for parenting is something that we talked about briefly before, which is the recent sort of discovery that babies are born with a certain temperament. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's really nothing you can do about that. Uh-huh. They're born a certain way. And, you know, we got lu- we got lucky. We have a very sweet-tempered child. Mm-hmm. As uh, as your mom said today, wow, the next baby's got a lot to live up to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Um, or, or as I said to your mom about a week ago, there's no way I get this lucky twice. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. I'm crossing my fingers. But I think that, you know, that's sort of... It, it, that puts you in a position where there are philosophies that may sound great, you know, parenting philosophies, parenting strategies that sound terrific and make mm-hmm. perfect sense, but they just don't work for your child. Right. Yeah. Not because you're or doing your it wrong. Even. Not because like, you're doing it yeah. wrong, but just because your kid was born with a different temperament. Yeah. You know? And so I think, and, and that's why I sort of like, like the way we do things, which is sort of catch as catch can, which is we have a certain set of principles, <laughs> things that we believe you know, we don't believe in dangling the baby by her ankles to right. discipline her. That's for entertainment. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and then and then we let her sort of guide us in yeah. a way based on her, her yeah. temperament. And we sort of figure out, okay, you know what? We tried this, which all the books say will work, but it doesn't work for her. Right. So yeah. let's try something different. Yeah. Even if it's something that we're just going from the gut. I don't even know, though, maybe this is just my ignorance here, but what are exam- what are names of other parenting philosophies? I, I I don't know. I mean, there's the attachment thing, and that's like literally the only and one I know. Like of. The French stuff. <laughs> the French. That's the official. The French <laughs> stuff is the official name. Uh, there's trust me. There's names. I know. They I just don't know what names. they are. I don't. I don't know them off the top of my head. For all we know, we actually do fit perfectly. I know we might. That would be pretty funny. Sort of like parallel evolution. We just <laughs> just rediscovered it, reinvented it. Um, so let's uh, let's do a quick writing update. Okay. Uh, you wrote. I did. You actually. wrote this weekend. So you went to a coffee shop. You were so, oh my god, a coffee shop in Brooklyn with your Apple laptop. After you are just coming su- from a yoga class, coming from a yoga Trust. class, you are such a cliche. I know. Oh my, it felt awesome. God, <laughs> you should have just worn a sign that said, "I am a cliche." I'm a cliche. Yeah. No, but um, first of all, I had a great day on Saturday. Thank you. I had like reserved this day off a month ago <laughs> yeah. um, because your mom was in town and. You know, I was like, the baby can hang with your mom all day and I'm going to go do something. Right. So I went and to the a, baby indeed hung all day with my mom. Yeah. yeah. And I went to a great yoga class and then with my sister and then, um, hung out at her place for a bit and God, the weather was terrible, but, um, that's okay. I took my laptop and went to a coffee shop and wrote, and I was actually working specifically on this essay. <laughs> essay. I feel like there needs to be like a bell that rings or something every time I say essay. Yeah. Um, but 
I'm almost done with it. So that's great. That's like good. I made a lot of progress and yeah, I feel really good about that. Cool. So, yeah. But I also, I have news. I haven't told you this yet. Oh my God. I Breaking news. Now I need to drop in like a, yeah. like a teletype uh, sound. I know what I'm working on next. Oh my God. I've decided. After the essay, what you're going to work yes, on. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, I don't know if it's chapter book or middle grade yet. I'm still working out which age range it is. Okay. But it's something that I had started uh, a little bit ago and put aside to finish these revisions. And it was just calling to me again last week for a cool. while. And I was like, I have to do that. So Now, can we talk for a moment now that you've said that, that that's what you're doing? I wasn't going to talk about this. I was going to save this for another show. But let's talk about it now. You, you're, you've got this chapter book. Yeah. You have, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Yeah. You've been reading chapter books of course, lately. Yeah. To sort of absorb the form yeah. and, and figure out the rhythms of it because it's, it's very short. I've never that. written a chapter book I mean, before. so can you talk about that a little bit? I yeah. find that interesting. Yeah. Well, so partly it's because I don't know whether, like I said, this is going to be middle grade or chapter book. Right. So I'm still trying to figure out the voice of the two characters. Um, and meanwhile, I wanted to... I just wanted to become more of an expert on what the difference is between the two in right. terms of uh, length and sophistication of language and things like that. So yeah. um, obviously I work at a wonderful company that has fantastic chapter book and middle grade titles. This podcast brought to you by <laughs> Scholastic. So um, I've got a pile of them next to my side of the bed and I'm I'm just going through them. I mean, that's the great thing about chapter books. You can just blow through them. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. The bad thing about it is that you can't really read them on the subway because you look a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you could get away with it. I think if I tried doing it, I would perhaps yeah, be looked at as if I were attempting to attract small children to me. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, because it's easy enough to Google and say, what's the difference between a chapter book and a middle grade? Yeah, and, but you don't know no, unless you and actually... I think you just, I, you need to read a few. Yeah. Keeping in mind too, uh, uh, as if you know me at all, you know that I'm obsessed with the babysitters club and yeah. that's literally the reason that I work at Scholastic. Um, I read babysitters clubs all the time. Well, especially when you're sick. <laughs> when that's, I'm sick that's and not your feeling comfort well, food when that, you're sick. yeah, I like literally go to my bed with a pile of babysitters clubs and read them. Yeah. Um, so it's not like I don't know the genre of chapter books. Right. So, um, but it's just good to get modern day. Chapter I was going to say, there's yeah. gotta be a difference between, you know, 1980s <laughs> well, now, and, yeah. and now. I mean, I think in the 80s and early 90s, the Babysitter's Club were more were considered middle grade. Right. And actually now they're classified as, as chapter, chapter books, books, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I tried to write a chapter book a million years ago, and I realized that I had mistaken the sort of, for lack of a better word, youthful innocence of the chapter book okay. with exuberance. Ah, okay. And I realized I was ending every single sentence with an exclamation point. <laughs> like, literally every single sentence. And I thought to myself, maybe this isn't for me. That's really funny. And I, I put it aside. Uh, but, but yeah, I, you know, there's a piece of advice. I think if you're going to write in a form, read, read it. Read the form. Read yeah. the form. I mean, I remember now years ago being at a, a writer's conference and being at a table with an agent and several other people. And this agent was a, uh, was a science fiction agent. And, you know, that was his focus. And he said, you know, today I was giving a talk and it was to people who want to publish science fiction novels. Uh -huh. And at one point I said, how many of you have read a science fiction novel in the last six months? Oh. And like three people raised their hands. Wow. Cause 
a lot of it is people who are like, oh, I used to read science fiction and I always liked it and I could write one. Yeah. And no, like you need to read in the field that you want to be in. I mean, if only so you don't embarrass yourself by doing something somebody else has already done and thinking it's right. Yeah. You know, which I've found myself in that position once or twice where I thought, oh, I'm breaking ground here. And people are like, no, dude, everybody does that. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's I I think that's some some good advice. Yeah. How about you? Writing. Writing, writing, writing. Uh, you know, I actually, I, I hinted at this last week, but I actually uh, counted. And yes, my agent does have eight things oh. floating around out there for me right now. Wow. Poor woman. I, I almost feel guilty at the idea of writing something and giving it to her Seriously. at this point. I want to wait for some of these things to uh, to fall apart. So I think, though, what we'll do is uh, uh, we'll go ahead and announce my new novel. You, we will? Yeah. I just got so excited. You know, I was thinking, like, the contract is held up with one little teeny tiny thing, and, and I like to wait till the contract is signed, but I'm like, screw it. I'm tired of holding off, so let's, you know what? Let's see how many people listen to this podcast and, and, how, many, point, yeah. and how many of them talk about what they, you know, <laughs> we'll see if a week from after this podcast hits, people are like, oh, this is Barry Lager's new book. We'll know how, how big of a mouth the uh, our podcast audience has. <laughs> The origin of okay. this book was one day in January yep. of 2015, mm-hmm. you looked at me, I was lying on the sofa, you were in the kitchen, uh-huh. and you said, you know what nobody has ever done in YA before? And I said, what, darling? And you said... No one has written a book from the perspective of a teenager who shot and killed his sibling accidentally when he was a kid. Right. I probably said it not I don't as think you were the, quite that. that specific. I think yeah. you said nobody's ever done a book about these poor kids who killed somebody accidentally yeah. with a gun and what what it does to them. Yeah. That, those were more or less your words. And you sort of froze. I froze. And I said, and by the way, I can't write that well, book. Well, no, because then I, I said, you should write that. Right. And you said, no, that I don't know how to write that book. That's not a Morgan Baden book. That's a Barry Liga book. Uh-huh. And I said... Damn, it is a Barry Liga book, and I know no, exactly I think, how to write it. I, but I think it took, didn't take a day or two for you to say that? It might have. And then I, re- I do remember a couple of days later, you like stormed into wherever I was, and you were like, I can't stop thinking about that. <laughs> Damn you. Well, I, I was looking earlier today in the, the app that I use to keep notes on all of my various projects, uh-huh. and I realized that that, that particular book uh, has a note. The, the note is still titled Morgan's Gun Book. Wow. <laughs> um, and has all the notes that I took for the first few weeks before I actually started wow. working on it. Uh, so that, yeah, that's that's my next book. It is about uh, a kid who is 14 years old. Ten years ago when he was four, he got a hold of his father's gun and accidentally shot and killed his baby sister. And uh, it and is, what are the details? What's the name of the book? Who's publishing it? It is being published by the fine folks at Little Brown who brought you I Hunt Killers and After the Red Rain. Uh, and it is titled Bang. I, in all honesty, I read this book twice now in its entirety yeah. and I lose my mind sobbing yeah. at certain parts of it. It's a, it's a, it's a tough book. Um, you know, it's interesting because I don't know for a lot of reasons, but for one reason in particular, which is that when, when people in publishing found out you were pregnant, people who are friends of mine, they all made the same joke, which was because I'm known for writing the Iron Killer series, uh-huh. which is brutal and gory and disgusting. And they all made the same joke, which is, oh, now you're going to be one of those guys who just wants to write picture books because you're going to have a baby. <laughs> and I said very offhandedly and snarkily, 
my the first book I write after my baby is born, I'm going to do something horrible to a baby just to <gasps> just to prove I haven't gone soft. Whoa! And I you didn't. Did. I didn't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it happened. So that's weird. That is weird. Uh, but there you go. So yeah, I, you know it's funny. The other day I thought of a different title for it. Oh, really? Yeah, but I'm still going to call it Bang because okay. I love that title. I do, too. But the other day I thought, maybe I should have titled it Trigger Warning. Oh, that's good, too. That's isn't really that, good. Isn't that good? Yeah. That's good. Hmm. My editor listens to this podcast, so I might get a phone call <laughs> saying, hey, Bear, we think you should change the title Let's of the book. Let's do a poll. We can do a Twitter poll tomorrow. No, there will be no Twitter <laughs> poll. I do not title my books that way. That is not <laughs> happening. I like the title Bang. It's simple. It's direct. It's honest. And when is it coming out? Uh, it, I, a year from now, uh, year a- from now. April of 2017, that's assuming, um, I do not somehow drop the ball in the copy editing stage. Yeah. <laughs> that is assuming that, you know, something disastrous doesn't happen at Little Brown. Um, you know, like the file gets erased or something. Oh, yeah. I, I live in fear of that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I am terrified. I, there's a part of me that wants to like conduct a harsh interview with their IT department and find out exactly what their backup strategy is because seriously once you give them the file they start doing things to it and and and, you know you I'm pretty sure big companies like that have some backup strategy you would think you would think but they also get hacked and you know I anyway I'm really excited about this book. Yes, I am very excited about this book. Uh, it sounds strange to say I'm excited about a book with such a grim yeah. subject, but I am. I a friend of ours read it and said this is sort of exactly what you would expect from the guy who wrote Boy Toy and I Hunt Killers. Mm, yeah, uh, and that's uh, that's probably right. Yeah. I mean, it's I, incredibly emotional and riveting. And well, thank you. Um, so. We won't talk too much about it because it's a year until it comes yeah, out. It's not yeah. fair to, that's long, a long you know, time. so we're just announcing that it exists and that's what the subject is. And in the meantime, please go buy, well, pre-order The Secret Sea. Please pre-order it. Make make me happy. Um, and uh, buy it and read it and that'll be great. So there you go. Uh, we, will, uh, we will see you all again next week. Please visit us on writinginreallife.com. Leave a comment. Send us feedback. Tell us what to talk about. Tell us your favorite writing advice or writing advice that you think sucks. Tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And uh, go subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us on iTunes. Give us five stars. It bumps us up in the rankings so that more people can find us and listen to us and enjoy what you enjoy. So thank you all very much. We'll see you next week. Bye.